Hello and welcome to the PCOS Nutritionist podcast. My name is Claire. I'm a registered nutritionist and I have a background in exercise science and natural fertility education as well. But I specialize solely in PCOS because I have it too, so I know how damn frustrating these symptoms can be. Um, but also, I know that it doesn't have to be like that. After many years of trying to figure out my body, I kind of dive back into the research and figured out that PCOS being a you know a genetic condition, but it's really turned on by the environment that we live in. So what we eat, how we move, um, whether we sleep enough, vitamin mineral intake, and by changing a lot of those factors, we can actually improve our symptoms quite significantly, depending on what that root cause is for you. And this is exactly what I talk about here on the podcast, in, on social media, in my blogs, and in my book, which I can finally tell you is coming out on the 18th of November and it's now available for pre-sale on Amazon and holy moly I cannot tell you how good it feels to finally have a date. I started writing this book in April last year, April 2019. I actually finished writing the book relatively quickly in June. I was like a real just you know beavered down and got it all written but I didn't realize how long it takes to actually get a book edited and through publishing process. Um, and I wanted to make sure that it was amazing. Not just like, okay, cool, you got a book out. Well done you. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I actually want this to be helpful and easy to read and just so well referenced and, and so evidence-based, which as you know, if you've been listening to the podcast for any length of time, that is really what I'm all about is giving you the evidence, but in a way that you can understand, but what what the research is kind of showing us and then how we can apply that. So the book is called Getting Pregnant with PCOS. So it's all about the fertility aspect of PCOS. Uh, and in there it goes through the same way that I talk about everything on the podcast, but getting to that root cause, understanding for you, is that your insulin levels? Is it your stress hormones? Is it thyroid? Is it inflammation? Um, And then what you can actually do about that. So whether that's medical treatments like um, letrozole or clomiphene, which can help with ovulation, IVF, what's all the research in terms of how they actually work, therefore who they're going to be effective for, and what are some of the risks involved in those, just so again, so you can make an informed decision for yourself. And then what are some of the things that you are in control of? How can you change your diet and Um, how you move, what supplements you take to have the biggest impact for you and your root cause. And then where to look further for things that might not be, you know, if if you've kind of identified all of those things and say, for example, you weren't getting a period, you weren't ovulating, but now you are because you've made quite a few changes um, or you've taken something like letrozole or clomid to help you do that, either are equally as great but you're still not getting pregnant. And it's like, well, where do we look from here? And this is where podcasts like today's with Angela can really help because there are so many other things that can also impact fertility. And um, while I kind of cover off um, the really important ones for PCOS, there's always things coming out in the research like what Angela is going to be talking about today um, that 
is also valid for you to look into as well if you have kind of addressed everything else and it's still not really working for you. So anyway, I'll pop the link in the show notes for you to pre-order that book. I would be so grateful for your support and I just know that this is going to be a great reference for you going forward in your fertility journey. So today we're talking about the vaginal microbiome with my really good friend, Angela Heap. So Angela is a nutritional therapist from London. I got to know her when I was living in London and she is just brilliant. Uh, she's so down to earth, so funny. I love her you know, Instagram stories and her Instagram posts as well. Um, but also she is just so damn smart. And that's what I love. Nothing more I love in a woman that smartness, intelligence and sassy funniness. So she fits all of those and that's why I really wanted to chat with her and bring her on here. I can't believe I haven't done this sooner. Um, but anyway, we have now. And I said to Angela, I was like, right, what do you want to talk about? Because you're obviously such a guru. She is, um, she specializes in fertility. And so I was like, well, that works out super well, considering my book about getting pregnant with PCOS is coming out on the 18th of November. Uh, you can pre-order that now actually through Amazon. I'll pop the link in the show notes below. Um, but given that, I was like, right, Angela, what do you want to talk about? Because there's so many topics that we can riff off. And she was like, you know what? I actually think that this new area that I'm looking into would be the most interesting. And she mentioned it to me and I was like, huh, I haven't really done any work into that. So that would be brilliant. So the microbiome, um, there's been a lot of talk over the last probably five years about the gut microbiome. So your bacteria in your gut. They previously used to think that that was sterile. They know now that that was very wrong. Um, but the microbiome is really just the bacteria and organisms that live in different places in your body. So you have a skin microbiome, i.e. the bacteria and organisms living on your skin. You have a mouth microbiome and you have a vaginal microbiome. And it turns out that this can be quite important when it comes to getting pregnant, especially when it uh, is a really good area to look into for those that may have struggled either with getting pregnant, uh, with maybe the, you know, the ovulating, but that just doesn't seem to be actually creating a pregnancy or maybe it's with recurrent kind of miscarriages or, um, or or pregnancies that don't reach term. So after listening to this, if you do want to get in touch with Angela, if you're like, huh, I think that sounds like me, then I will provide the links to her, uh, all the ways you can contact her in the show notes. But if you want to follow on her in, on Instagram, her handle is Fertility Nutritionist, all just one word, Facility Nutritionist, and she provides some excellent information on there. So I'd highly recommend giving her a follow. But anyway, let's get on now and have the chat. Angela, thank you so much for joining me. I can't believe that we've never done a podcast together before. I know. It's Absolutely. Taken, me too. It's probably taken um, this separation of us, me not being able to get back to the UK, and you having never yet visited me in New Zealand to make yeah. you come on and do a podcast with me because we're so... Um, like we've, we've, you know, like had no contact. So all we can do is zoom. <laughs> Absolutely. I know it's quite shocking, isn't it? Really? Um, we talk all this stuff, you know, personally, but we don't actually do this on a podcast. And I, I love your podcast. It's really great. It really looks at some amazing new research. And I think, you know, uh, it's always interesting to do podcasts, but there's so many of them out there now. It needs to be something that's really relevant and pops and is very interesting and yours are really great so I'm really happy to be on it and that's why I love you is um to come and talk today because 
you are even more at the forefront of so much research than me. And it's so good mm. to have and have these great conversations about like, I mean, I really, I do it for you guys, but I also do it for myself that I get to talk <laughs> with great guests about this. So it's so good. So today we're talking all about the vaginal microbiome and specifically in PCOS and how that can be quite different um, and basically how it, how it could be really interesting going forward in terms of using this to potentially diagnose PCOS, but also what that could mean in terms of how it affects your symptoms and um, and so many other different parts of PCOS. So we've known for a while that the gut bacteria in PCOS can be quite different, but it's just recently this year, right, that it's been found that the vaginal microbiome can be quite different. So, but before we get into that, can you just take us a step back? Because the listeners don't have any, you know, may have come across <laughs> you before, but tell us about your fabulous work and how you got started in fertility um, nutrition as a, and, you know, your qualification and everything like that. Sure, absolutely. So I've got involved in this particular area because um, I studied in London at the College of Naturopathic Medicine. And as part of that process, you have to do clinical hours um, with clients. They come in, general public, and, and you're, you're vetted against your peers and with, with a lot of people um, that are your teachers, your mentors. Um, so a lot of the information that was coming forward for case studies, weirdly, was actually about fertility and hormones. I've always been fascinated in it anyway, because I've obviously got a personal interest in it being a woman. But, um, you know, and I had uh, a condition myself where I had high levels of prolactin um, and I had some issues with that with migraines and everything else. So I was always very interested in that. And I think that's what pushed me to start looking at nutrition as a way forward and lifestyle and I think the whole approach that I've taken from college where I've developed has very been much around the functional medicine model and testing and analysis and I work very much with people where I dig a lot deeper if they've had maybe multiple miscarriages if they've had you know sort of very problematic um, issues with the hormones and there's something that we basically need to get a little bit more detail on um, other than just kind of saying here go away take a prenatal and take some fish oils you know um, if that's the kind of approach you want I'm definitely not your girl because I dig in there I get you know very very into the research I start looking into things that are very fascinating as to why maybe there's been issues with either never getting pregnant in the first place or having multiple miscarriages, um, even late-term miscarriages as well. So, you know, I look at genetics, I look at, you know, very, very detailed testing, I look at the immune system, um, all sorts of things really that, that can actually make a difference to you holding on to that baby if you are having multiple miscarriages prior to that, or actually, you know, why it's not implanted in the first place. So fertility is definitely my bag, and I've kind of got more and more into that in terms of you know different areas and like you Claire I, I delve into the research I'm very very interested in that um, and I apply that you know like today we're going to be talking about um, the relation of PCOS to fertility and the vaginal microbiome but this research is so so new you know it came out in August so I was actually looking at this in bed. That's how much of a sad woman I am this morning going, oh, this is going to be exciting for Claire and people listening to the podcast. But, you know, it's it's, it's fascinating. what really gets us excited too, Angela. Don't yeah. worry. Like, I'm fizzing <laughs> over this side of the computer. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been doing this now for 12 years. So I'm kind of 
very much into this area and, and developing as I go. You know, I'm constantly learning. And, you know, I did a course in the vaginal microbiome, um, a six week course um, that was headed up by an Australian naturopath who's fantastic. Mm. And the, a guy that's also very into this, um, doing PhDs and everything around this area, um, Jason Hurlick. And, you know, those are the kind of people I'm following at the moment that are, you know, very, very kind of forward thinking in this area. Um, and uh, Moira Bradfield as well. She's fantastic in this area. And actually, you know, learning from her has been fantastic um, to incorporate my model and how I work with things. Um, and I'm I'm putting a lot of my clients now forward for um, vaginal microbiome tests because it's actually working. You know, in the last two weeks, I've done this with a lot of my clients maybe a couple of months ago we've established a program based on that and the last week I actually had four pregnancies in one week you know not I'm blowing my own trumpet here but I'm actually astounded that this is like it's taken it to a whole new level so you know the bacteria is queen as we know you know in the human body we looked at gut health before that and that's been you know something that's exploded probably 10 years ago and up until a couple of years ago there wasn't much research around the vaginal microbiome but you know our body is full of trillions of bacteria in different areas under our armpits up our nose in our gut in our vaginas you know yeah absolutely (laughs) so you know it's about following the bacteria (laughs) any orifice has got its own microbiome right that's how i think about it Absolutely, 100%. So let's follow the science around that. I hate that phrase, actually. Um, But let's look into it and see, you know, whether this can actually, uh, you know, really make an impact. Um, Because every diagnosis in terms of female conditions actually may have a root in some of this area as well. So going more into the fertility, how can it affect the how can it affect fertility specifically? So I'll give you a bit of background in terms of, um, you know, what we're talking about, just to kind of help you to understand more about this, because people don't really think about their female bits that much. That's what I'm talking about from one perspective. They don't really understand, you know, the basics around the vagina, the fallopian tubes, the uterus, you know, but they actually have their own microbiome. You know, I put some research up a while ago that was talking about the fallopian tubes and the fluid inside there in the microbiome. So, you know, there's there's so much information around this. But if you think about it in very basic kind of biology, um, the vagina is a kind of a an elastic or flexible tube um, that also self-lubricates. And it's the kind of very basic start of the journey for the microbiome. So obviously, if there's any lubrication in any form of orifice, as we like, as a woman, there will be some bacteria in there. You know, it's part of that to help it to actually, you know, self-clean and to support itself. So in the vagina, there's actually less bacteria than in other places like the gut. So there's less species there. But what we do know from the research is there is, for it to be healthy, there is a dominance of the lactobacillus family. So many of you may have known lactobacillus from taking probiotics. Um, and you see it in adverts for all sorts of things like yogurts and, mm-hmm. you know, Yakults and Danones and all those kind of things. And how, how that's kind of been imprinted in our brains about how important that is for human health. And I think going back many generations, that's what 
you know, people did in Northern Europe and wherever else. There's been a fermented culture there of things like kefir and sauerkrauts and, you know, fermenting vegetables to keep them um, vegetables in the diet and fibre, but also the, the, you know, the probiotics, the good bacteria as part of that then colonises those areas in the body. So I think the importance is, is to look at those different species and the more lactobacillus the more lactic acid is there and that's what we're talking about because the vagina generally has to start off as a more acidic medium so if we haven't got an acidic medium there it lets all the bad guys in you know it's kind of like to say on this side of the pond the thames barrier is open because Mm -hmm. the acidity is much higher and we're often told i think even as nutritional therapists when i first started working around this you know the alkaline diet this is all important we've got to alkaline our bodies actually when it comes to the vagina the more acidic it is um you know the better because it can actually be as i like to call them the bouncers at the front door so if you've got a higher ph you are inviting more things in like bacteria to spread their wings and multiply and obviously we'll talk a little bit about candida later on but i think you know, that can mean if you have a more acidic um, medium in the vagina, you have more of a chance potentially to grow things like thrush um, and that candida family can be an issue. But if it's more acidic, you will find that that isn't even there. It's not even allowed to flourish. Um, so lactus, lactobacillus has to be there. And I like to say this kind of it's a family group there um, with four of those particulars And the balance, like everything in life, and the timing is very, very important because it will go down. The acidity will go up and down during the menstrual cycle um, because obviously it doesn't want to kill sperm too much if it's coming in. Mm. So it's got that whole balance going on, whereas it gets nearer to your fertile period, maybe that acidity goes up a little because the pH of sperm is actually more alkaline. So... Often there's a clash of the titans if people have got very, very high acidity, uh, very high alkalinity with fertility um, and the sperm is also alkaline. And you can find that sometimes with my clients when they say after sex just feels a bit itchy and stingy and everything like that. And again, that's something to look at because the the acidity of your vagina may not be that welcoming or supportive. And again, you know, we have got, a microbiome in seminal fluid as well so that again can be bringing bacteria into the vagina and that's why it's so acidic to kind of kill off the bacteria and only keep the sperm alive so we've got a, a family of four particular bacteria there um and it's headed up with what i call the matriarch um the lactobacillus crispatus and that particular um bacteria of um, lactobacillus has to be the dominant species, the dominant matriarch of the vagina, because it kind of is, um, you know, it dictates what the rest of the family generally will will be doing generally in the vagina in terms of that. And we have to have a blend of other ones as well. Um, you know, things like the Gasseri, um, also the Gensei, that's another one that needs to be at a fairly decent level. But there's one in particular called the Lactobacillus inners, which I can I say basically can be swayed to the dark side. Right. So well, we'll talk a little bit about well. that. Yeah, so absolutely. Do we know anything about percentage-wise how much the um, Lactobacillus um, 
Is it Crystalis? Crispartis. Crispartis. Do we know anything about percentage, how much it needs to be? Is it like 60, 80 we're talking about here in the vagina? or? Um, well, I think percentage-wise, I'm not entirely sure, but generally when I've done the swabs, it's been, you know, a high amount. So it's giving, right. you know, um, you know on, a, on a marker of kind of 0 to 20 on most of the tests. Um, so a good level would be, you know, moderate to high. So right. that would be around the 16, 17, um, you know, on that scale. And, mm. and I'll talk about the tests and what I use generally um, a little bit later, but that needs to be at the higher end of the scale. Um, and then things like the Gensonite and the Gasseri, moderate or small amounts of that. But what we don't want is absent amounts of Crispatus and higher amounts of Inners because then that can actually sway a more, um, you know, favorable situation for other bacteria to come into that situation got it so and that's, again, the that bouncer, can, that's the bouncer that can be corrupted yeah absolutely yeah. that's the like one where you give them a few a few readies here and there and they can let you in <laughs> are we are we tenor at the back isn't it no yeah okay. absolutely um so then with the um like do you want to the other thing I was thinking as we're talking about there is it the same? So it's for the for the vagina, obviously we've talk, been talking mm. about. But does that also then stretch up into the uterus as well? It does absolutely. So what stays in the vagina goes on. So we can see a lot of people maybe on the podcast that would be interested in doing um, some further endometrial biopsies. And there's a lot of things out there that look at tests like the Emma test, um, which looks at the bacterial composition of the um, the uterine lining. And that's been very interested in a lot of IVF cycles now in terms of whether there's implantation. So again, we can see what happens in the vagina goes further up and it can also impact the fallopian tubes as well. So, you know, obviously we've got STIs and things like that that can get in, which what they're saying now also with HPV, which is obviously um, an issue there and there's a lot of people being younger women being vaccinated for that in certain mm. strains that can cause cervical cancer but they're now saying that if you have a very very kind of high level of this crispatus and good levels of gasseri and gensonite then that can actually ward off even some things like hpv and some stis as well because it's a very very kind of strong bouncer it doesn't let any kind of you know microbes in there that can get further up like for instance into maybe the uh, fallopian tubes and cause scarring from STIs and things like pelvic inflammatory disease from things like maybe chlamydia as well. Wow. So Amazing. very, very important to keep that there. And, and, and also I'm interested in this because when you have a vaginal swab, much less invasive than having a biopsy where they pull a big chunk out of you, they test that for the essentially very similar bacteria levels for you know the lactobacillus family and they also look for other things that we, we're going to talk about in terms of bacteria that can be um, pathobionts or problematic um, but that can show that it's got past the first gate mm. and it's then started in the vagina and it's moved further up into the uterus and it's actually multiplying in there which then can lead to things like chronic endometriosis which right. is an infection of the womb, which can stop implantation and also can cause miscarriages. So it's a really fascinating new area. And I think when we come to PCOS, I was literally looking at this in bed this morning. Um, there is 
a completely different kind of setup when it comes to PCOS women. Um, and they did a very, very basic study. There was only 40 women in this study done in China, even in August this year. So it's very, very new research. And they basically said that women with PCOS generally had a much lower crispartus level, which then makes sense because it allowed in further pathobionts like the um, microbiome sort of bacteria that can get a urea plasma and also the prevotella um, bacteria. And both of those can actually cause um, irritation and inflammation in the lining of the vagina and obviously the womb. Um, so they, it raises the interleukin-6 or interleukin-1b level um, in terms of that. And it can actually cause um, you know, further irritations um, when people have that. And also urea plasma has been looked at in previous years for being a, um, a pathogen that can actually cause problems with um, preterm labour as well and also potentially miscarriages. Um, so again, leading back to the PCOS kind of um, area where if they do actually get pregnant, potentially may lead to some miscarriages sometimes along the lines. And we do know that women with PCOS are at higher risk of miscarriage. Well, potentially, there's a, like research yeah. is a little bit unequivocal, but I don't know, in my experience, it's been slightly higher. Um, and also to higher levels of preeclampsia, which could be what is causing that preterm or, you know, early preterm, late preterm birth, um, which is the 37 weeks onwards, um, yeah, which is very interesting. Really. So what do we know, Angela, then, like, what about PCOS causes this dysbiosis in the, like, for that, so the crystallis, the balances to get a little bit either mm. corrupted or, you know, mm. the bouncer crystallis to be dragged off mm. and kicking and screaming and now the ones come in there. Like, what is it that actually causes that disruption? Well, I would probably say more than anything, it's the makeup of the um, estrogen. So estrogen mm. is the driver for crispartis and gensinai and gasseri. Um, even for inners really and that actually the level of of um of estrogen in in the body generally in the vagina and the uterus is is an important driver for these particular um bacteria so having more of an androgen focus there um may well be that it will um drive certain bacteria that are stronger um in that area crispartis is a an estrogen lover you know so if you have higher levels of crispartis um, higher levels of estrogen generally you may have also higher levels not always but I think generally estrogen is a big driver of of that particular um, family of bacteria that allows things to flourish really so it's almost like fuel for it but again obviously um, you know feeding bacteria means um, you know in, ensuring that there are good levels really all around and I think it changes um, you know, the actual st um, levels of bacteria will be completely different in um, women as they get older as well. So perimenopausal, I was looking at this as well recently, and also menopausal. So they'll have less crispartis, which means that um, and essentially their estrogen has gone lower. So they'll have less crispartis, probably less of the others. And again, that can cause irritations. It can cause more potential for the other bacteria to get in, like the bacteria... Um, the um you know the bvs of the world and different kind of um sort of things that will cause problems in um the endometrium and and further up 
Um, and again, can cause things like UTIs as well, because there's no barrier to stop them coming in at that point, because the estrogen's low as the driver, and then the crispatus goes low, and then they all kind of desert that area, or there's much less. So there is much more potential there for pathobionts to get in and cause more problems. So, you know, it all comes back to that, you know, that estrogen, really, when it comes yeah. to PCOS. Um and there are things you can do that actually make it worse as well. So obviously things like if you have, you know, more of a um, drier vagina, you know, obviously if you're having sex, you may use things like, um, you know, lubrication. And some of those lubricants can actually make things worse, um, you know, and irritate things a bit more and actually reduce down even the small amounts of that bacteria that you have in there. You know, there's a lot of things like smoking that can actually kill the crispatus as well. Um, you know things like stress can actually reduce that down um, you know topical antifungals as well so if you're putting up you know your caniston pessaries in there because you've got you know a very alkaline vagina and you've got thrush that can also kill the crispatus so like anything in life it is a very delicate balance to get mm. things right and it all kind of stems from the actual you know, makeup of, of the hormones um, that can actually drive that. And as we get further into perimenopause and then into menopause, your levels of estrogen drop. And then also the makeup of that lactobacillus family actually also change as well. And you have that in prepubescent girls as well. So often prepubescent girls may get things like UTIs, urinary tract infections, because the actual um, makeup of that um, vagina is less estrogenic and then you know that can actually bring on its um some of its problems from that side mm, amazing and it's kind of this what we always talk about which is treating the root cause like we were just talking about there before Absolutely. the thrush you know right like mm. if you have thrush you then shove up those caniston things which yeah. is you know like maybe maybe treat the symptom as a bit of a band-aid but actually you're making that root cause worse because you're making it mm. more alkaline more like you know and um and then you end up, you know, with less ba- good bacteria. Um, mm. So it's just, it's a bit, can be a bit of a vicious cycle unless someone can actually explain to you, hey, this is actually what's going on and this is yeah. what, you, what you need to do about it. Um, yeah. The other thing too, of course, is probably, um, I assume, using any of those vaginal cleansing products. Oh, um, God, don't start me on those. <laughs> <laughs> I, thought this, I thought this was quite common knowledge now but um mm-hmm. but i think probably only in the circles that we you know we work in um but i yeah. still see a lot of women asking me and um and not to shame mm-hmm. anyone because how are you supposed to know but yeah i think it's probably worthwhile mentioning that those are particularly not great for the vaginal microbiome no absolutely you're washing away all your good guys mm-hmm. um you know you think i mean that whole thing i think you know we talk about things like bacterial vaginosis and you know that smell uh and that again probably permeates a lot of the kind of um the way forward women having that it may have been that bacterial vaginosis has got in because the alkalinity is quite high there's Mm. not that family kind of supporting that situation and there's a lot of women that have bacterial vaginosis or have over over time and they're very conscious of the smell the smell's different maybe someone's mentioned it to them and I think this is kind of spread out amongst women across the world. And we're all paranoid about the smell of our vaginas now, aren't we? So mm-hmm. then in comes 
patriarchy and start saying, here, shove some of these things up your vagina. You know, that'll make it all smell good. And then all the men in the world will really love it and everything will be good. And I think this is what happened. I mean, even I did that, you know, when I was kind of, you know, in in my um, sort of 20s and I had a boyfriend, I thought, oh, yeah, you know, all these products, maybe I just need to keep things maintained and everything. And, you know, my auntie actually said to me when she saw it on the bathroom thing, she said, Angela, you shouldn't be using those. Those are really bad for you. Um, So old school is the best, really. You know, don't be using those in the first place. And, you know, it just makes, it makes me, my heart break when I see, the increase of those. I mean, there was only one when I was in my twenties. Now there's about four on the shelves or five, you know, when you go into a chemist. Um, and it's obviously because women are feeling self-conscious for A, the message, or B, they don't know that actually something that's dysbiotic, there's a problem there with some of those bacteria, the Gardrinella, the Atopibium, those kind of particular bacteria that have started to create a discharge or a smell or something like that it's because of the back, uh, vaginal sort of microbiome that's gone out of balance that's allowed these guys to get in in the first place um mm. and it can be easily sorted out you know there's a whole kind of protocol from the research i've been doing and the training i've been doing around actually improving that um you know and maintaining it obviously through diet and through other things we can do that with the gut we can also do it with the vagina as well you know it's not this kind of you know holy grail area where we can't do the same things as we did with the gut with the vagina you know there's a whole protocol on on how to work with that as well and i've had ladies that have had such bad bacterial vaginosis that it's actually impacted on their swab their you know their kind of immune system in the vagina, the interleukin 1B, and it's been huge, the inflammation, you know, on one particular one I saw recently, um, prior to doing this, she'd had, you know, sort of premature premature ovarian failure, so she didn't necessarily have PCOS, but she wasn't even ovulating, and we managed to get that going, um, you know, and we did a whole protocol with um, working on the vagina, and literally, I'm not talking three weeks, and she actually got pregnant. You know, this is a wow. woman that, you know, her, her charts were flat. You know, there wasn't anything happening. And as soon as we changed the bacteria in the vagina, you know, they all crept up, got in there, and helped support that whole process. So, you know, we do need to get this right. And I think we've had years of, you know, douche your vagina because it doesn't smell right. We've even got things now like, you know, vaginal gummies and glitter bombs and all sorts of rubbish. Um, And it just drives me mad because the message is getting worse. You know, douche your vagina, you know, scrub it to an inch of its life. But, you know, that's such an important part of your general hormonal balance as well. And also fertility-wise, if you're, you know, looking to do that in the future, um, you shouldn't have to live with this situation and, you know, be embarrassed about it because, you know, it's the same as anything. You break an ankle, break a toe, whatever, you mend it, you know, and it's exactly the same with the, the vaginal microbiome. We've got to look at this as, as a very, very important thing for your overall health. You know, if the vagina's, you know, crying out for some help there, you know, that's what we need to do. We need to push the message out there a bit more about how we can kind of, you know, improve things. Breaking your leg you didn't break your leg mm. because you weren't wearing a cast. The same thing as mm. you didn't get 
bacterial vaginosis and the odor because you weren't douching, right? Like that's not the cause of that. It was because yeah. there's been something else and that's like the root cause. We've got a, you know, the actual thing was you broke your leg because you were being an idiot swinging upside down from a tree, right? Like yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to wrap you up in a cast. We're going to actually educate you and be mm -hmm. like, you probably shouldn't do that from now on or hopefully you will learn from, you know, learn from that. Yeah. So it's that we need to actually figure out what that root cause is and treat the root cause rather than trying to... Yeah band-aided it over with just some horrific florally essences that you're going to, you know, put up there. <laughs> and also things like, you know, people with PCOS generally with a higher testosterone, that can sometimes give them, you know, sort of oilier skin and spots and things mm. like that. And they'll go to the doctor. I've had a client with this situation recently. The doctor's just given them a, a month's course of antibiotics, you know, and that's going to kill all of your good bacteria, not all of it, but it will, you know, very much change that. And then I think it makes it much easier for those bad bacteria to come back in before the good, you know. So, you know, when we're trying to treat other areas of the body, it will also affect the vagina as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, the general treatment for bacterial vaginosis is antibiotics. Um, and that doesn't always work in a lot of cases. Um, and then, then people will say, oh, I've had antibiotics you know, six times in the last 10 years, you know, and I've had bacterial vaginosis in those times a couple of times, you know, and it's all about, you know, chicken and egg situation, getting the, the microbiome right. Yes, there may be a lower estrogen, but can we kind of, you know, improve that situation in the meantime, just by, you know, filling that area with, with good bacteria, you know, mm. and when we're talking about pessaries for, things for you know for thrush um you know as part of the protocol that i do with women we look at you know probiotics as pessaries you know mm. a lot of and people have been using kind of um tampons with with yogurt in them for years and that's an old-fashioned remedy maybe not necessarily great for pcos because obviously you've got all the androgens in there which isn't fantastic um but then you know doing things like using um the right type of probiotics and i'm not kind of um, encouraging women to go out there and just get any old lactobacillus one because it's got to be the right strains mm. otherwise it doesn't necessarily improve that and a lot of the research was around you know using those particular strains to actually ward off some of these things um so yeah i mean it'd be interesting to look at maybe a further study on how many women with pcos have bacterial vaginosis because potentially mm. that is a chicken and egg situation there's lower estrogen maybe um, that makes the pH higher and therefore, you know, things like bacterial vaginosis can get in more readily. Um, but I think the research I looked at today was more about, yeah, potentially they've got lower bacteria, but what does that lead to? You know, mm -hmm. what kind of implications were there in regards to fertility because of that situation? Mm. That's a very good question, actually. I'll put a poll up on my Instagram stories of um, and yeah. ask people. Um, because I think that that's one thing that we, you know, where we can get a very rudimentary guideline, like it's certainly not scientific yeah. research, but it gives us a, you know, a pretty good guideline into how many women is this affecting and is this actually something that's worthwhile yeah. looking further into. So then yeah. how would a woman who does, who goes, Oh, actually, I think this sounds like me. I've had bacterial vaginosis or I've had other, mm -hmm. um, maybe it's, you know, um, other things that you've talked about, like recurrent miscarriages or, um, late preterm or early preterm birth that no one could really put a finger on why that happened. Mm. How would they go about getting an assessment of their vaginal microbiome? So 
you would probably have to work with a practitioner so mm-hmm. someone like Blair or myself um can order these tests um directly through um a company in the UK I think effectively they're, they're the only ones doing this now in the world and they actually have a lab in the UK where they assess vaginal microbiomes permanently you know as part of their kind of remit so you know I, I I'll probably send on a link for um for you guys to actually have a look at that in terms of the makeup because not only does it have the four lactobacillus family but it also has other things in there other bacteria like the one i mentioned the prefertella and the urea plasma um and some of those species that make up the um polybacteria for um bacterial vaginosis so and it also looks at thrush as well the different um the different kind of species of thrush there and whether that's available um in in your vagina and whether they're high levels there so it's a good overall kind of test and it's a swab so it's very very easy to do and a much less invasive system than going for the emma test which is the endometrial microbiome um metagenomic analysis that's what it stands for and that is a biopsy of the womb when you've gone through maybe a miscarriage or multiple miscarriages or you've gone for ivf and you've not had a successful round there they often suggest doing this and if you do a swab generally i've seen this in a couple of people i have to confess i've only had about two or three clients where they've gone for the vaginal microbiome and they've then gone for the emma test to see whether they've actually got you know good or bad bacteria there and it's actually correlated quite nicely so i think it's a much less invasive way of testing that seeing whether you've got you know a what's your ph to begin with if it's quite alkaline it will you know bring in bring in the party time for all of the bacteria that you don't necessarily want Um, and then that can actually change you know possibly change whether there is implantation as well there is some research around that as well if you haven't got good levels of the lactobacillus family that it can mean that implantation is more difficult as well got it so if if the lab is is the lab in the uk regenerous or whoever it's doing doing it if they're the it's only in vivo in vivo mm-hmm. if they're the only mm-hmm. ones in the world doing it do you have to be in the uk to get it or could you get no it that's the beauty oh brilliant so it's you not can get it internationally Great, because sometimes you know, still samples and stuff. They're so time yeah. in terms of how quick you bring them back. So yeah. okay. that's mm. great. That's the great. only thing is, if you are a US client, because of the federal laws, they haven't been able to get over that in the US. So unfortunately, for you, you're a US listener, you won't be able to do that. But everywhere else, apparently in the world, doesn't have the same stringent laws on the DNA because it's essentially your DNA. Mm. Um, you can get over that because I did that with a client in the UK who was in New York, but she was a UK citizen. So if you can show that you're a UK citizen living in the US, then that's still fine. But unfortunately, I would love to do this with all of my US clients. It absolutely irks me to death that I can't do this with them. But it's the federal laws in different states. So unfortunately, it's been really difficult to try and for the lab to actually get over those hurdles. So, yeah. So, yeah, very hard. And so that's the assessment. Then what what happens if you do find out that you're, you have got some dysbiosis there? What um, What is it that you do with your clients to help to, you know, without, you know, because obviously it would be different for everybody, but in terms of yeah. like when, it's, when we know, okay, so antibiotics is not the right course. We talked a little bit about mm. this before in terms of using different probiotics and, and yeah. things. But is there anything else that you do? 
Yeah, well, it all depends, really. You know, if they've got a lot of inflammation in there, you know, there are some soothing things you can do to bring that inflammation down um, from a herbal perspective. There's also things you can do um, can actually feed the good bacteria. Um, so, again, it's, it's a very, very specific protocol. Um, you know, in the US, they actually use um, boric acid suppositories. If you have got recurrent um uh, BV and you've had that many times and you've got high levels of those polybacteria um, in that list so but I wouldn't suggest you do that on your own it is something if you do have some of these issues I would always in you know ensure that you you make sure you're working with a practitioner who can then actually put a very specific protocol together for you um, because we're about we're all about you know safety here and I think you know people using and going rogue on things that they haven't even tested and got oh, I think I've got that so I'm going to use this um, it drives me potty when I see some of clients and the things they've done over the years the poor old vagina um, just to try and improve the situation um, not necessarily even for them you know for, for maybe their, their other halves really but it's yeah. uh, it's an important thing to look at working <clears throat> at any time with a practitioner who can understand, read that test back to you, help educate you around some of the signs and symptoms. And then, you know, going forward, that's something you could probably then go back to if you do have a recurrence of it. But getting all of your ducks in a row and making sure that the health of the vagina is is really tip top before you even start trying is, is important because, you know, we don't want to be in a situation where, there's more miscarriages because we haven't got rid of some of those bacteria that are causing maybe the um, urea plasma to develop, um, which again can cause inflammation in the womb lining and also the membranes as well of the amniotic sac. So preterm birth is one of those longer term things that urea plasma actually can um, be problematic with. Um, you know, some people really need to kind of look at that um, if they have had you know, more than two or three miscarriages um, as a potential area to, to work on, really. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I think what you were saying before is that there is no one treatment, right? There is no one oh, vaginal microbiome protocol. It all depends on you mm. and your test results and what comes back. There's yeah. different levers that we pull to, you know, for example, if we need to get um, you know, if, if we need to increase one level or slightly, you know, feed that, then that level, or as you said, mm. modulate the immune system, we'll do different things there. Um, and mm. this is why I also get quite frustrated when people advertise a candida protocol. And it's like, there is no one protocol, right? Like it really right. depends on that mm. individual and what strain they yeah. have and what else is going on in there. This is the yeah. gut. Um, or the even the worst is the you know is the candida diet. So I'm like, no diet is ever going to kill that thing, right? Like, you know, like yeah. all you're going to do is put, oh. all you're going to do is put that into remission, and then as soon as you go back eating, you know, your normal diet again, it's going to come back mm -hmm. with a vengeance. So just yeah. also too, if you do see things advertised, you know, because the vaginal microbiome stuff will get more popular now, just hit our, hit, mm. as the gut stuff has, you will start to see things like this like the vaginal mm. microbiome diet and, and things and just remember that. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> maybe they maybe it is. They just soak the the tampons in different foods and that's the diet, yeah. do you think, maybe? Yeah, I don't know what, what it will be. But, you know, that whole <laughs> candida diet honestly drove me mad and people coming to me saying I've had brush constantly since I've been, you know, 17 
and I get it four times a year and I get antibiotics for it and you know it's just a, a vicious circle there's all these women going round and round in circles you know you know on their own knowing mm-hmm. nothing about me I think you know I always say women are Ferraris and men are Ford Capris and we do need a team of people behind us to really help us and yeah. and that message almost needs to go out you know on the airwaves all the time you know the radio this is what you don't do this is what is is healthy mm. and I think you know it's it's definitely my view very much a patriarchal approach to things you know keep you in the dark about stuff get you not thinking you know logically about how you need to approach this and be proud of you know yourself and know what to do going forward so that you're not kind of thinking, oh, God, you know, I'm and, completely and different than everyone else. <laughs> yeah. And also and stand up for yourself. Like if someone treats yeah. you poorly in a medical, like I had a woman um, mm. yesterday who I was working with and she said, oh, you know, my doctor's always been really awful to me. And I was like, mm. what planet are they on? Like how, would you ever yeah. treat your clients like that? She's like, absolutely not. And I'm just like, so don't mm. Don't take that from anyone, doctor or not, yeah. right? Like that is not no. okay to be treated yeah. or, for, you know, like for you to go into, you know, your doctor and say about these symptoms and they're like, oh, you know, you know, make you feel like you're, you know, this big. Yeah. Okay. Like you, you are the CEO of your health. If you think something's not right, mm. if no one's taking you seriously, move on. Go to someone else because they're not, yeah. not the right person for you. And it's a completely complex thing, the mm. vagina microbiome. The microbiome all over the, the, the whole body is. So, you know, if, if there are some issues, don't suffer in silence. You know, yeah. there's, there's podcasts, there's all sorts of things where people are talking about this now. And, you know, Dr. Google isn't always the best place or forums. <laughs> we both really hate those in terms of like telling you the new approach. This is how I did this to do it. Because everyone's an individual, you know, yeah. you've got maybe bacterial vaginosis but it doesn't mean it's the same bacteria as someone else and you may have a different you will have a different microbiome than that person that's talking about it on on the forum so you know work with claire work with myself or people who understand that get the test done and see where you are with that you know knowledge is power isn't it as soon as you find that out you will know how to treat that and as soon as you support that whole process you'll be able to then go, ah, yeah, I know what that is if it comes up again. If you've maybe let your lifestyle slip a bit and you've been eating, you know, cake, chocolate and whatever, and it's kind of caused that bacteria to change a little, you can then, you know, go back to, you know, looking after yourself a bit more and you'll know what to do going forward. You know, I can't stand it when people don't give you the power, don't empower you or give you knowledge about how you can treat your own body, you know, and it's the same thing going to doctors where they just kind of write a script, don't tell you what's going on. And you are completely in the, in the, the dark about what's going on with your body. You know, part of my programs are always information overload. You know, sometimes people do go, and that's a bit too much, probably leave you to do that. Angela. I know I'm interested, but I, you know, I need to back <laughs> off a little there, but I'm always like, this is fascinating stuff that you need to know about your vagina or your endometrium, or generally your overall health, you know, understanding your cycles, Um, you know, always be, like you said, the CEO of your own health, because, you know, that's an important place to be at, you know, getting yourself into a good position where your wellness is good. Mm. Because too, as well, can, can this, because our microbiomes are so connected and also especially as females because, well, mm. our anus and our vagina are so close together. Yeah, sure. How do we know, what do we know about how that vaginal microbiome moves into or, or 
works with our intestinal microbiome? Well, it can be. You know, again, I had a lady who um, used to use a bidet quite a lot. You know, right. I think culturally, um, generally, if you're Muslim, you tend to use, um, you know, a bidet quite a lot or, you know, washing in that area. And, and I found some interesting um, bacteria, probably a higher amount of E. coli and some other things that may have travelled from the gut into the vagina because that happens and also you know different practices really um of cleanliness really can can actually you can think you've been more clean doing that but actually what you're doing is washing it the other way you know instead Mm. of kind of angling things a little so again you know that can travel it's a really great question it can travel into the vagina and sometimes that happens when people have a kind of uh, a urine um culture Mm. done to see what's happening there because it may not be um you know a uti from um you know normal circumstances it actually could be a culture that's come from you know that that whole kind of small gap there and the e coli's yeah. got in there um you know enterococcus fasalis or something like that has actually traveled um so just looking at this particular swab um results can actually give you a really good indication of you know some of those habits there from there as well yeah i think that's really really interesting but we don't know anything as yet in terms of any connection between um and like an overgrowth of pathogenic bacteria in the large intestine or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and how that could impact the vaginal microbiome not as yet not that i've been looking into there may well be but i think you know the vagina generally will be more specific bacteria that certain labs are testing. They may expand, yeah. ex, you know, expand the whole kind of bacterial similarities to the gut. But I think because there's so many more species in the gut and there is a less bacterial species in the vagina, they don't generally tend to go, let's look for this, because it may well be that they don't have as much there on that side. And it doesn't necessarily grow in vaginal medium as opposed to you know the the kind of gut medium um because of the ph differences completely different Mm. um so going back to the fertility thing what so we've talked a little bit about implantation Mm. and um and the resulting kind of miscarriages is that the main implication of a dysbiotic or you know so when we say dysbiotic for those of you that are that goes over your head that basically that means that it's it's become bad for want of a better word right like there's less of the good bacteria more of the bad bacteria that's what we call dysbiosis so when there's less of the good bacteria more of the bad bacteria in fertility like is is that really what we're looking at there is the implantation issues and miscarriage issues yeah absolutely and i think you know when we're looking at the vaginal kind of health that can give an idea of of the uterine health as well mm. um, and i know we just talked about you know the gut and different kind of microbes there so things like beta glucuronidase are an interesting one because that is obviously all relating to how that um particularly gets rid of estrogen in the gut um but also we need to maybe start looking at this um you know and have and have more of an idea of of you know how that works generally because again that's something that's quite important because if you're not getting rid of your estrogen in your gut as well as you know having issues vaginally then there's a build-up obviously um of that particular bacteria and it starts to feed other situations so i think you know when we're looking at 
um, you know, particular bacteria, things like um, beta-glucuronidase, which breaks down um, estrogen in the gut. That's something I think that would be fascinating to look at. And maybe that's something we look at longer term, you know, in terms of the blood levels of that, really. Um, I don't think anyone's really looking at that at the moment. They're looking at it more in the gut. Mm. Um, and the labs that I'm using are actually kind of questioning whether that's a good way of actually establishing whether you've got high levels or low levels in the gut. Um, you know, so longer term, maybe if we're looking at estrogen, we look at specific, um, you know, enzymes that are breaking that down as well. Um just so that we've got an idea of that, because, you know, that's quite an interesting thing, um, you know, in regards to endometriosis as well, you know, because mm. that can sometimes be something that we would look at. Um, and some people say it can be uh, an immune issue, really, when it comes to endometriosis. And that generally, in some of the research I've looked at, um, you know, people with higher numbers of beta-glucuronidase um, actually have higher levels of recirculating estrogen which mm. drives sometimes endometriosis yeah. so dysbiosis you know, of the vagina the endometrium can um decrease lactobacillus and also increase pathogenic gram-negative bacteria which can possibly lead to you know endometriosis so I mean, that's an interesting thing isn't it so fascinating and i think that i mean even just for people listening you know to understand that you poo your estrogen out right? That is how we get rid of it out of our body. Like this is what we're talking about here is we need to, your, you know, your estrogen will keep circulating in your body and and recirculating is not necessarily a great thing, right? We don't want it. We don't want the old stuff keeping on getting recirculated. We want to be able to actually, when the body says, let's get rid of it, we want the gut to be able to get rid of it. But if it doesn't have the right components in order to do that then we'll just come mm-hmm. getting this recirculated estrogen and so that's why you know this is all how it all ties together and why it's so important in terms of the you know the, the full microbiome um so then i know we talked about before about how the treatment has to be very specific to the test results so we get the test results mm-hmm. and then we can put the treatment plan in place kind of like if you were going you know, to any medical professional and they'd do a treatment and then they'd say, right, you need this drug, except we're not mm. drug-based. So what, but is there anything general that women can do to keep or take better care of their microbiome? Well, I think, you know, as it was in the gut, it is in the vagina as well. In, in all instances, um, you know, good amounts of fibre, um, you know, good amounts of fat in the diet, keeping constipation to minimum, because obviously constipation can affect the um, the uterine area as well. You know, it's very cramped in there as women when we kind of get to our periods, really, everything starts to swell out a little. Yeah. So just keeping things moving and having a, you know, a higher vegetable-based type fibre diet and making sure you're having enough in there. Um, you know, prebiotics are fantastic for feeding the good bacteria so you know things like leeks artichokes um you know things like anything you can add lactobacillus to your diet as well if you wanted to but to get more specific um you know you need to know the right strains really to go for and again if you've got um you know different kind of dysbiosis happening and you've got more amounts of inners very low amounts of crispatus you know feeding that with fiber because that basically generally improves the um the 
good bacteria's ability to actually maintain and regulate the pH of the vagina as well, which again then stops any bad guys getting. Yeah, so I think those are very wise words, especially the you know, the fiber. I mean, I often, as a tip, like I'll use something like an inulin powder, which is the inulin mm. as, a, as a prebiotic and add it to my smoothie. Um, yeah. Some of those ones like psyllium husk and inulin, you have to, they can yeah. be a little bit irritating on the gut if you yeah. kind of ivs type stuff. So mm. be careful to start with like maybe a quarter of a teaspoon and work your way up. Yeah. If you don't get any kind of gas and bloating from that, maybe you might want to yeah. work a half a teaspoon all the way up to say two teaspoons. Oh. Um, sure. But yeah, if that's affecting you, maybe try a different, you know, prebiotic as well. But those are really good to sneak into smoothies or soups or stews. Mm-hmm. But just be careful that if you are making this for someone else in your family and they have a slightly more irritated gut than you, then they might be not particularly happy if you're like ladling out the inulin into their soup and suddenly post meal they're very gassy and bloaty. So just um, mm-hmm. be aware of that. But so that I think is a really, um, I mean, fascinating topic and incredibly interesting. So for anyone who has been struggling with uh, fertility issues, maybe that's, as you said, implantation issues going through fertility treatments, or maybe it's recurrent miscarriages, or just not quite understanding what's going on and why they're not able to get pregnant, or maybe as we've talked about, you know, uh, vaginal issues bacterial vaginosis, reoccurring thrush, how can they book a discovery call with you to talk about what you could do for them? So they can basically just get in touch with me directly through um, my um, my assistant, Jenny, and they can just say um, fertilitynutritionist at gmail.com. And that's the best way really to get hold of me if you're interested in having a chat about this um, it's a free call. It literally will be 10 to 15 minutes just assessing what's been happening with you in your fertility journey and what I would suggest going forward mm-hmm. in terms of the programs that I run, because there's a few options in terms of what we can do. Um, you know, I've kind of specialised in PCOS and fertility for many years now, so I'm quite aware of that. And I do have some genetics myself that predisposes me to insulin sensitivity. So I'm kind of aware in terms of that, mm-hmm. how to manage it. So, you know, that's basically the best way to get in touch. Um, I've got some information also on my Instagram page where I've talked a bit more about this in the past, the vaginal and uterine health series, um, where there's a lot more about this, where I'm talking about the specifics um, that we talked about today. But we have covered quite a lot of ground, haven't we, Claire? (laughs) As always. I hope that it wasn't... um too much for you guys but I think it might be one of those ones that you just literally go back and listen to because you're just like wow every time you listen to it you pick up something else I think I will myself um but we'll post in the show notes I'll post the links to both Angela's Instagram fertility nutritionist she is on Instagram so that will be in the link in the show notes and also the email address to get in touch with Jenny so you book a discovery call but I think that that is really um just a, a crucial thing to do if you're struggling with this is don't go mm. it alone any further or any longer mm. because you're not going to be able to work this stuff out by yourself, right? Like as we talked about, you need to get the testing done. You need to figure out what actually is the problem. As you've heard, you know, we're not going to be able to tell you that you've got a vaginal microbiome issue just because you have, you know, a symptom like bacterial vaginosis. Even if we do say, yeah, there's likely an issue, we won't know how to treat it unless we know what the problem is. So, 
no amount of Googling is going to tell you this. It is really about working with someone who knows what they're doing, knows how to, A, what tests to order, B, how to interpret them, and C, what protocol to put in place to actually treat that thing. And that's, you only get that by working with an experienced practitioner. So um, this is, you know, I think we as women, we waste so much time and we expect that we can figure things out on our own when mm-hmm. we're not the expert, right? Like, would you expect someone to work, walk into your job and be able to pick it up and, you know, and do that? No, of course you wouldn't. You've worked in that job for years and you know all the nuances of that in terms of who you, like, who you work with and who you have to be nice to in the company and who you don't. Like, you don't pick that kind of stuff up overnight, right? That's the nuances of your job. It's the same thing about working in health is really understanding all of these little things. Where to look, I think, is probably the one of the biggest things we learn as practitioners is where to actually, because, you know, you could do all the tests under the sun, but unless you know really what you're looking for, you won't know which ones to order and actually then how to interpret them. So um, I'd really encourage you guys to, if you are struggling with any of these, book a discovery call with Angela, see what she can do for you and get on and start sorting this out as soon as possible. Thank you so much for sharing all of your amazing knowledge with us today. It has been so fascinating um, and just really, really appreciate your time. Thank you, Claire. I really love talking about this. So it's, you know, it's a very fascinating subject for me. And thank you so much for having me on your podcast. And I can't believe we've not done it so far. So maybe more to come. (laughs) Hopefully. Fingers crossed. Thanks so much. So that's all for today, folks. I hope that you found that as deliciously fascinating as I did. Um, I hope it didn't make you too squeamish talking about all of the things living inside your vagina. Um, But I think that it's just something that, I don't know, we we don't think about, has never really been brought to the attention. It's only just started getting attention in the scientific literature. And now we know, needs to be, needs to be. So if you are interested in finding out more about what Angela does, then I've provided all of her links in the show notes. Um, Follow her on the Instagram, Fertility Nutritionist. She has some really great posts, really um, informative information. Um, And also pop the link in to contact her about booking a consult as well, especially if you think that this or any of the things we've discussed today could be relevant for you or to you, then Angela would be a really great contact for you. Um, So that's it for this week. I hope you enjoyed that. And thank you so much for being here to celebrate the announcement about my book. Um, As I said, I am so, so, so delighted to finally have a date for that. You can finally say, hey, it's going to be out on this date. And the fact that you can go and pre-order that now. Um, so thank you so much in advance for your support on that book. It really means the world to me. Um, it has been a real labor of love. And I just really hope that it is a really valuable resource for those of you who are trying to conceive to take a lot of the um, guesswork out of it for you. I know that trying to conceive can feel a little bit like the dark arts and so much of it is out of your control but actually after reading that book you'll have a much better understanding of what's actually going on what are the really core things that you need in order to conceive and basically how to kind of break that down to tick off the most important things for you and and a lot of it is actually within your control But equally, for those of you, even if you aren't trying to conceive at the moment, but you have been diagnosed with PCOS and maybe like me, you've been told how you're going to struggle to conceive, this book would be really relevant for you as well because that's not the case. It's not the case at all. Actually, women with PCOS have as many children as those without PCOS, right? So, but it may need that they need a little bit of support or it might need that that takes a little bit longer because 
there, there's a few hormonal things that just need to be fixed before they're able to conceive. But PCOS is not a condition of infertility. PCOS is a condition of subfertility, i.e. there are hormonal things that are stopping your body from ovulating or maybe the egg quality isn't quite what it needs to be. But those things can be fixed, right? Infertility is like you're missing sexual organs. You know, there's no way you could conceive without help. But that's not the case for PCOS. Um, many women do not need any help whatsoever, do not have any problem getting pregnant whatsoever. Um, and those that do, there are, you know, there are reasons why that's happening in terms of hormonal um, things that are just slightly out of balance. But there is so much that we can do to get you back in balance if we address the root cause. And then if you need further help, there are some really fantastic medical treatments out there that can be really good as well. So that's what I hope to hope for you to see in the book is that there are all of these great um, options available to you. It's not just about being all natural or all medical, but how can we use the both to get not only you pregnant, but a big emphasis in the book is having you having a healthy pregnancy so that you come out the other side not so tired that you're lying on the ground in the kitchen with a jar of pickles, eating them from the jar because you are so tired to get up and even get yourself a fork. I want you to be on that fourth trimester on the other side, actually functioning relatively well and feeling pretty good later on. And I also want to make sure that your baby grows and grows to be a healthy adult as well. So that's what we, what I put a lot of emphasis on in the book is um, it's not just about getting pregnant. It's about that healthy you and healthy baby too. So I can't wait for you to see that and get that on the 18th of November. And remember that pre-sale link is in the show notes. So that's all for this week. Um, Next week we'll be back um, talking all about hypothalamic amenorrhea, which is a condition um, that you can have sort of alongside PCOS. So, but it could be the reason why you're not getting a period, right? As well as having PCOS. I know this sounds you know, a little bit confusing. And that's what I want to bring to you next week is a bit about what this is. And so you can understand maybe it's hypothalamic amenorrhea that might be causing me to not get my period. And because the treatment can be quite different to the PCOS treatment. So more on that next week. Looking forward to it. Thanks so much for tuning in. Bye. Now stand by for our disclaimer. The information contained in this podcast has been prepared for the purpose of providing information including about the PCOS nutritionist products and services and is designed to support clients' overall wellness. It is not intended to provide medical advice or designed to rectify, treat or cure any specific medical conditions or diseases. Nothing stated or shared in our podcast is intended to be and must not be taken to be medical advice. Please seek the advice of professionals, as appropriate, regarding the evaluation of any specific information, opinion, advice or content contained in our podcast.